Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast, and today is a Valentine's Day special, or a love special, hence my pink attire. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have a Valentine's Day special. Who else should I have it with? So our special guest today coming on here is someone who lives life different than others. She's an RMT. She's a yoga tune-up teacher or a body nerd, I like to say. I know you say that as well. Focusing Mm -hmm. on things like digestion, neck pain, back pain, very much intuitive, very much works with women's health issues. And she also offers coaching, workshops, seminars through her company, Erotic Embodiment, as a sex and intimacy coach, or I like to say a sexpert, I'm ready to have a titillating conversation with Casey Easton. Casey, how are you today? Oh my God, I'm so good. (laughs) So good. Just enjoying the sunshine and happy to be here and chatting with you about all things love related. That that intro took me about a week to put together. So just, just be aware. I don't really have anything else to offer right now. <laughs> I'm out of questions. I believe that <laughs> a lot. I'm just kidding. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. And anyone who's followed my, my social media in the past before, they remembered at one time you and I sat down and we had a coffee with Chris and it was mm-hmm. a very well-received interview where a lot of people who were listening in had a lot of questions. So it's kind of around two, but still around one because a lot of new people that tend to listen to this podcast before. So we're just going to dive right into it for the Valentine's Day special. Casey, you are a sex and intimacy coach. What is that? Well, it the, the umbrella of sex and intimacy coach can be a lot of different things. My particular specialty is in teaching. I really like teaching groups and in doing the embodiment pieces and like teaching people um, specifically right now I'm working with women and couples that have a woman in them in order to help find more pleasure in their body and also help, uh, move through trauma and any triggers and any kind of physical limitations that, um, are present there. So that's kind of what I do. My kind of pillars of my coaching my teaching is like getting communication better, getting people more into their bodies and also playing like with more passion. So playing with things like polarity and communication and boundary work and that kind of thing. That's a massive umbrella. Sexy way though. In a sexy way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) In a sexy way. Each one of those large pieces there, it sounds like you could work with a handful of clients or a handful of different people. Yeah. Is there a specific type of person that, that tends to seek out your, your teachings, your training? So for me specifically, the people that are drawn to me are usually the ones that have a certain level of consciousness, if you will, or that know that there's more. They're like, yeah, things are okay, but I want it. I want more. Um, I want to be more expressed. I want to feel more pleasure. I want things to be more intense. I want um, more connection with my partner, that kind of thing. Those are the people that tend to be drawn to me. They're the ones that like, you know, it's pretty good, but they just want it to be even better. Don't people normally just talk to their best friend about that? Well, yes. And um, it's really interesting how men talk to men about what's going on and how women talk to women about what's going on. And then like, um, 
and then just talking to uh, friends of the opposite sex or, you know, it's, and then people with the same sex relationships as well. It's like really interesting how uh, advice gets shared through different lenses, just of, you know, social conditioning and all that stuff. It's really fascinating. How does it differ from uh, males or females or, or different genders or just different relationships? Because you just said that and I started thinking about my friends. I'm like, okay, there's no way that, that our conversation with me and my buddies would be a similar one that a female or, or, you know, Maggie would have with her girlfriends. I hope not. Yeah, totally. Right. And like women can totally be bros. Like I've got a bro mentality half the time too, uh, which my partner's like, oh my God, you're such a bro. And, but it's, Part of the like, because I've got a really balanced masculine and feminine, um, and because I've spent a lot of time with lots of different people, I have an idea of how their brains work, how they think, that kind of thing. Um, so in terms of, I think that there's, in terms of hetero relationships, I think that there is a fairly distinct difference in how we operate and whether that's socially conditioned, which it totally is, whether it's physiological because of hormones, it totally is. Um or whether that's just personality differences. Um, and I know that for me, like I have a really strong masculine, but I also have a really strong feminine. And when I'm in my feminine, I feel um, my sexiest, if that makes sense. Um, and a lot of people that have a feminine essence, like that's where they gravitate towards too. That's where they're most comfortable in. Um, that's, that's what kind of ignites their fire versus somebody that's got a masculine essence when they're when they're in a more masculine space that's when they feel more erotically charged if you will um and so we we approach things differently we communicate differently we um ask different questions uh and i think at the end of the day we we all want the same thing we want more love we want more passion we want more connection and it's just our approach can be different sometimes you said a handful of uh, really interesting things there. If we could backtrack a little bit. So I'm thinking of the listeners slash myself. When you say, um, you know, I'm more feminine, I'm in my my feminine, I'm in my masculine. What, what does that specifically mean? Like, is this genderized or what? No, not necessarily. Like for me, um, and especially because I'm queer. Um, and t- when I tend to be around women with a feminine essence, I'll actually polarize into the masculine. And I'll be more like holding space and I'll be like more witnessing and I'll be more um, a little bit more leading and taking that kind of stuff. And all of these are, are positive, not in a negative, like taking in like a positive way where I know the boundaries and stuff. Um, and I'm a little bit more dominant. I'm a little bit more with my, with my feminine partners that present more feminine and that's how they are comfortable in their relating Whereas with my partner, who's got a masculine essence, I'm going to gravitate more into the feminine. So I'm going to be softer. I'm going to be more open. I'm going to be more receptive, more inviting. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more playful in, um, and more in flow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? There's differences in masculine and feminine. And like you have a masculine essence. And I'm sure that when Maggie is like, you know, being really playful and being really soft and open and like sweet, like you're just like, you know? Well, she's got a masculine too. So sometimes it flips. And totally. And that's the beauty of it too. Yeah. And it's like, can we play with these polarities? Because in my opinion, it's like having these polarities, like if you're both in your masculine, it's just like headbutting. And if you're both in your feminine, then nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if, when we can polarize, that's when the fun, that's when all the fun starts. 
So when people hire you, when they hire you to work with their relationships or themselves and stuff with, with these areas specifically, do you help them identify, you know, where they're more feminine, where they're more masculine, or do they already know that? Cause I have a feeling that a lot of people aren't, aren't fully aware of, of, of what you just mentioned. Yeah. So it, uh, I, I like to use, like, that's just one of the, the tools and mechanisms that I use is polarity. Not everyone does. A lot of people um, that do a lot of like gender fluid work um, really don't like to use that. And that's totally fair. Um, and I believe that we all have masculine, we all have feminine in us. It's just a polarity, just like light and dark, um, just like dominant submission. Like it's just a polarity to play with. Um so it's, it's using archetypal imagery um, to understand yourself better. And if you want to have that passion, like if I want to be more submissive, even like I have to soften, I have to then relinquish the lead and follow, you know, so it's just a different kind of uh, way of relating. And I think that that's just a really fun way of doing it. Um, so yes, a lot of people will come in and the the intention is to bring that to a level, like bring that into your consciousness. So if you are, if you know your partner is in a masculine space and you want to make love with them um, and you want to have that passion, you want to consciously polarize. So you want to go into the feminine. Or if you know that they're in a submissive space, you want to consciously go into like taking the lead and being a little bit more dominant. Does that make sense? It, it does. And what's actually going through my head right now is sports. And I'll explain why. It sounds like you're talking about a playbook. Yeah. And if you want a specific outcome, you got to pull this play for here, this one for here. There's the defense. You got to read it this way and then react rather than maybe just being one way all the time. Am I right yeah, to say that? Winging it. Yeah. Or you know, winning it, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if you can dance, and you can look at it in, in like a ballroom dance too thing, like somebody has to lead, somebody has to follow. Mm -hmm. So if the person that's following is trying to lead, it's just going to be a mess, you know? Yeah. 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 This, um, this type of work, you know, I remember, I remember grade 10 going to my guidance counselor. I wrote a test. And then he said, you're probably going to do something with your hands when you get older. Right. Mm -hmm. My other buddy who's a little overweight, they said, it's funny, they said, you're going to be a chef. Um, I have a feeling that in high school, the guidance counselor never said you were going to be a sex and intimacy coach. How did you come into this field? How did you know this was your purpose, your calling? Ever since I learned what sex was, I was like, well, A, once I learned what it was, I wanted to go and do it <laughs> and explore like all of the things. It's funny, like the things that I did before I was like 17 are like more than what most people do in their life. Just because I was like, oh my gosh, I want to try everything. Because <laughs> um, it just, I don't know. I was So I had this like physical desire to explore. And then I went to university and studied human sexuality. So I kind of got an understanding of like uh, a deeper understanding of the science and the biology of mating. So that was really cool. Oh. Yeah. And uh, I kind of veered on the path of uh, like uh, being a birth doula for a while. And mm -hmm. kind of, like, you know, cause there was something that, you know, you just shouldn't do this stuff, right? It's just not allowed. It's not acceptable. Um, and it still pulled me. It still called me. Um, like I was non-monogamous when I was a teenager. And that was calling me after, like even through my twenties in my relationships. I'm like, this doesn't seem aligned with me. 
And then uh, after uh, I ended like a five-year relationship with my daughter's father, I was like, this isn't, I, I want to go and explore even more. And so I got some like sex, sexual education behind my belt and learned a lot of, um, you know, the theoretical stuff, more theoretical stuff on top of all this experiential stuff. Mm-hmm. And so for the last 10 years, I've really been diving deep into all the things. And um, yeah, my friend, I think, you know, Jean-Luc Boisonneau, he's like, you need to do this, go, like, go. It was just kind of like the permission mm-hmm. to then go forth into the world and share my gifts which is helping people find some pleasure and passion and stuff. I think everyone wants one of those people on their team anyway. Right? Yeah. 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 You said that you were monogamous and now, now you are not. You're polyamorous, right? Which is actually kind of funny because right now I am practicing monogamy. No way. So I was. I, I know, right? This is the expression everyone's giving me. So for 10 years, I was. I only say no way because I'm, I'm now really interested <laughs> because you're my friend <laughs> so, and I didn't know this. So now I'm interested, but for someone who's listening right now, um, would you mind maybe just do a quick little explanation of the difference between poly um, um, and non-poly and, and, and so forth? Totally. So monogamy is pretty straightforward and I'm actually not that monogamous. I'm, I'm a little bit more <laughs> monogamous than I was a lot more <laughs> monogamous than I was. Okay. So there's monogamy on one end and there's like, polyamory on the other end and there's like when you're monogamous you only have like intimate relationships with one person right but then on the other side of like ethical non-monogamy is what we call it um there's a bunch of branches so you can be a swinger and that means like you're with a partner and then you go and you play with the other couples and then that has like some some subcategories too but that's basically the gist of swinging um, you can also have an open relationship, which is you have a primary partnership and you're open to sexual relationships with other people. Um, and that can be a little bit that also has some subcategories, but for the most part, it's like that you're open to sleeping with other people. Um, and then there's polyamory in terms of, and that means you're open to more than one romantic relationship um, or loving relationship if that's the case. And then you can even go into something called polyfidelity, which is like, you know, if I was with um, Eric, my partner, and also um, Marissa, who's one of my loves, but I was only seeing them, that would be polyfidelity. So the fidelity part is that you're only with them, but it's polyamorous still. You know what I mean? So it's just a more constructed poly routine, I guess. Yeah, you're monogamous, but you're monogamous with more than one person. Yeah, yeah, you have multiple teams. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're probably getting a little understanding here. Things always go back to kind of sports with me. Great. Right? I, I love you're, that. Your coach. Now, now on, on Friday, you play on this team. On Saturday, you play on this team. But just those two teams. Yeah. But okay. just those two teams. Just those like two I'm not going to go and do some yoga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yoga's so, not in the cards. Yeah. So um, how, how prevalent is this? I mean, in the last maybe five years, I've actually had uh, different friends in my social circle and I would start to learn about this. But six years ago, this wasn't a thing in my world. And in, in the Maritimes where I'm from, I don't think this is a thing there yet either. So this seems to be much more prevalent today than it was before. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, like, 
people sleeping with other people has always been a thing. Um, but the uh, social acceptance of it has been greater. Like swinging's always been a thing. Open relationships have always been a thing. Um, and I feel still right now that there's more social acceptance. It's like being gay. And like most people, like I, I don't know how many gay people are out, but more people are out than they were 20, 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and I know a lot of people that are in that practice ethical non-monogamy that aren't out, out about it. So you'd be surprised at how many people are um, experimenting or loving outside of their primary relationships. Um, I'm not sure what the percentages are, but it's and in so it's growing in people coming out. I think it is also growing in people practicing it. And I think polyamory specifically is growing exponentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think was uh, kind of stopping that? Do you think it's more of a religious base, or it's just the, the coming of the times? I think it's just a social a social construct thing. Like I, I don't think that polyamory is in our nature and I don't think that monogamy is in our nature. My understanding after many years of research is that we're made to be pair bonded um, and we're made to be sexually promiscuous. So either way, monogamy or polyamory, because they're kind of two ends of the spectrum, um, and neither one of them are natural to us. Mm -hmm. There are some people, again, like kind of like the spectrum of sexuality in terms of gay and straight and most people lay somewhere in this in this fluid space right mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's also true for people that are uh, for people in terms of how many partners they have mm -hmm. it was really interesting as you know Maggie does a lot of work with uh, indigenous cultures and she teaches indigenous studies and stuff and she told me that in indigenous cultures if someone is gay the term they actually use is called two-spirited yeah Oh, I love that. I love that term, two-spirited. And then in some cultures, um, yeah. very much up north, it's not allowed. And the main reason is because their communities are so small that they need to be able to reproduce. Yeah. So that their, their whole culture is like, eh, we've got a problem with it, except it just can't happen because we only got 10 people in the town right now. So yeah, maybe we get to 20, we'll work around that. But we're well, not all cousins. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah. just, just the idea of like uh, indigenous cultures, and they've been around since the beginning of time, and you go so far back, and they're like, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like homosexuality is totally fine. This is just a term we use, two-spirited. Yeah. And here, here we are in 2021, and, and there's still some people who, who have some problems with it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. My daughter, who's uh, 11, came out as bisexual last year. And like it broke my heart because someone uh, like an older generation, uh, I'm not going to mention who it was, but they called her a, a fruit. Yeah. They called her a fruit. You're just a fruit. Like your mom. It was like, it broke my heart. Oh yeah. That would. Yeah. And it's like, why, why is this a thing? Like why is loving somebody such a fucking crime? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. But luckily it's, I, it is changing. Um, in some in some cultures, it's probably changing a little bit slower. Like I live in Lenar County, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're probably a little bit more accepting of such things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always say things go by the speed of the internet. So places that have Wi-Fi first, they're more likely to change. Fair enough. <laughs> if you're still on dial-up, mm, see you in ten years. Yeah, yeah. And then it's just creating space where we can accept that not everybody moves at our pace too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said you studied this, some of the stuff in school and nature and so forth. 
in nature, are, is the majority of species, animals and stuff, are they monogamous? Besides mm-hmm. the penguin. I think the penguin is. I don't know. Penguins. Actually, I just had this conversation with Marissa the other night. Penguins are actually serial monogamists. So what they'll do is they'll go and they'll find a mate and they'll mate with that other penguin long enough to raise their babies and then they'll part and then they'll go find new penguins to mate with and then they'll make more babies. You know, Disney never told that part of the story. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. So most, most animals are not monogamous. Even they thought birds were monogamous, like some species of birds were monogamous. And then they went, when they actually went and did the research and like got the genetic coding of their babies, they're like, something's going on here. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Cause I always felt like nature was uh, like nature leads where people should follow. Nature has always been the way to kind of, you know, go about it. It's not too often you see animals, fish species that, you know, get disease because they don't eat McDonald's. (laughs) <laughs> they, right. they live off off nature right yeah. so and and you know covid's a really good example what has everyone done once covid's happened everyone's kind of reverted back to nature yeah a lot of people are doing a lot more things outside i mean a lot of people in my social circles have said you know what i actually just gave up you know having this chemical in my life and i'm just i don't wear deodorant anymore well why not well i don't know it's not good for me but people are just reverting back to nature and i just found yeah. that kind of interesting yeah i stopped washing my hair oh me too actually um yeah, no, just kidding. Um, well, it looks good. looks good on you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, pivot. Moving on now. Uh, that part was really good so far. Now, this is a fitness uh, podcast. So mm-hmm. people are listening here, fitness professionals or fitness enthusiasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, to sexual health, what is considered healthy or sexual health that would be considered healthy versus non-healthy? Now, I don't know if you want to go physical, emotional or whatnot, but maybe you could just kind of spread that out. What's healthy yeah. sexual health? Totally. Also remind me to talk about um, ejaculation retention. Remember we had this conversation back in the spring. I have updates for you. Okay. Yeah. Psyched. Psyched. Uh, So things like um, for me, like I also have a tantric lens. So I think about energy, right. And I think about um, our life force as being our erotic energy. So when that is blocked or hindered or um, being depleted or leaking, then that can have ramifications or if we're not building enough of it, that can have ramifications too. So if we're not um, desiring sex, it could just be because we're too exhausted because we're too stressed out because um, we're not eating really good food. Like I know there was one Christmas where I was like, I'm just going to eat whatever I want for four days. My sex drive like plummeted Mm -hmm. and like my sex drive never plummets. I was like, I can't even like, don't even look at me. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, I believe so, I believe that a hundred percent because in the oh. personal training world, that conversation comes up all the time when yeah. I'm doing like a history of someone's health. Yeah, they always say, and then I'll always be like, "How's your libido?" And they're like, "Oh, I haven't seen it in ten years." Yeah, but and but again, these would be people that I would usually start out with who are very unhealthy mm-hmm. first, right? Yeah, and then so when they start moving, when their blood starts pumping more, when they start like nourishing their bodies better, mm-hmm. they have so much more sex drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it has to do with testosterone too, uh, because the more muscle you have, the more, more testosterone you make, all that stuff. So, do you um, think that the drive is the big indicator of, of health versus not healthy? Well, this is the thing: is that there's the physical manifestations of it, then there's the um, energetics of it. Like, if your relationship isn't, um, it has a lot of stress in it, and you can't communicate. Like, most people don't want to have sex with their partners if they're fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like they don't want to reveal that part of themselves and, and will withhold sex if we're upset with our partners. Um, and that doesn't help anyone, you know, because no. um, often just coming into union in that way can, can um, help heal some of those wounds. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a really important piece is a really important piece to this puzzle. Um, so in terms of, yeah, there's like the mental health side and then there's the physical health side. So it's like keeping your body nourished and um, well lubricated by a lot of movement is really important. And then keeping that mental um, and emotional health too is super important in order to desire, to desire um, your partner, to desire uh, pleasure in your body. Um, one of the other thing too, is that I'm a body worker, right? And I noticed that there's a lot of like fascial um, stuff around like whether it's fascial stuff around the chakras like your heart's closed or like you know your sacral plexus is all closed off for whatever reason it's like can we create a little bit more fluid flow around those places can we um liberate some of the connective tissue because that's where all the the juice flows if that makes sense and that's where like if you look at like from chinese medicine we'll call it chi and in yoga we call it um kundalini or prana it's all the same thing it's all energy so it's when all of those pathways are unblocked and that's happens most with a lot of movement a lot of breathing and um, body work and touch um, that liberates the flow of all of that erotic energy. So when you when you work on someone without even having a conversation, so say someone has booked an RMT session with you, or they're like, I got neck pain, and then you're working on them, and all of a sudden, can you can you tell if they are are um, so we're looking for you're like restricted in those are the chakra spots? A hundred percent. Like chronic neck stuff is yeah. someone not speaking their truth. Like that's hundred percent. That's a superpower. Yeah. <laughs> For you. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And it's okay. So what are the reasons you're not able to speak your truth? And then it's like, how do we, how do we create that? And oh my God, next stuff is so freaking common. Um, and is there like an actual pathology? Maybe is there like fascial tension? Probably fascial stuff is fascia and muscle tensions governed by the nervous system though, too. So it's like, I don't know. I believe all of it believe all of it has its space in place. Um, and I think just being open to all the possibilities of why there's restriction is important. If someone's at home right now and they're like, I want to do a quick self-assessment. I want to know if my, am I, am I healthy? Is my sexual health healthy? Is there any go-tos that they, they could do or are this flags they need to be aware of? Well, this is a really interesting piece too. Is like, can you access pleasure in your body? Can you access pleasure in your body or do you have to go outside of yourself to be able to find that pleasure? Um, so, uh, and I, I joke around that like porn is to men what vibrators are to women, right? It's like zero to 60 in the blink of an eye. There's no, like, there's no um, invitation for arousal. It's just like, let's orgasm as quick as possible. No warm up. No warm up. Sports it's like, again. <laughs> play yourself, man. Yeah. Like do the prelims, like so important. Um, so not only like with other people, but also with yourself and then practice too, right? If we're going to pull it back to sports, like practice, like, and especially in terms of, um, uh, yeah, being able to, to run the erotic energy. Um, so in terms of, okay, I'm going to go into like talking a little bit about um, ejaculation 
um, would say that there's a few men out there that um, unintentionally ejaculate. And part of that, it's like doing more warm up and then practicing having a tolerance in their nervous system for pleasure. So, and that, that stems from like the way you practice it is both on your own and with your partner support too. Right. Um, and it's helping to move all of the energy, breathe all the energy up from just your pelvis and throughout the rest of your body. Because once it gets stuck in your pelvis and, and you get focused on the pleasure just around your pelvis, then that's when we're more susceptible to unintentional ejaculation. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to like breathe it up into our solar plexus. We want to bring it, breathe it up into our hearts. We want to breathe it up into our consciousness and through the rest of our body so that we can feel the pleasure everywhere instead of just our genitals. And it, uh, broadens the pleasure through our body um, and takes the pressure off the pelvis and the genitals. Does that make sense? Yeah. It sounds like you're talking about you can dispense pleasure throughout the whole body instead of one localized area. Yeah. With, because with if that pleasure is just localized in that one area, the result's going to be ejaculation. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's taking like taking a pause and then expanding it through your body. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that happens through breath and consciousness. So breath practice, you did say practice, practice, uh, practice, 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 practice. But breath, breath is very interesting. I was literally having a conversation last week with a guy um, regarding breath for performance. Mm. But the performance was sports and lifting, mm. but it, what you just said, it's very similar. Just the terms were flipped around a little bit and little things that were talked about there where we were talking about like CO2 tolerance and how to actually change where's your breath going are you yeah. breathing through your chest all the time or are you using diaphragmatic breaths are yeah. you breathing through the whole cylinder of your body yes. or is it all is it all in the neck is it all in the neck and there was a time and a place for each one yes um, but to bring out a specific performance yes and like I, i'm so glad you brought this idea of pressure up like we have pressure in our pelvis we have pressure in our abdomen we have pressure in our thorax and then we have pressure up into our cranium, through our throat and in our cranium, right? There's various diaphragms. And often the pressure builds up in the pelvis. And then we've got like, you know, pelvic floor contraction. And then we've got like bracing through the abdomen. And then that prevents us, pre prevents our breath from flowing nicely. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, I'm going to go into a little bit of like TMI, my lover stuff, but he's, uh, he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And if you don't, if you can't breathe and move, and um, still maintain pressures in, mm -hmm. in jujitsu, you're going to get crushed. Yeah. So he's had this practice of being able to breathe and be in flow and to relax the rest of his body in places where he doesn't need the, the tension. So his nervous system doesn't go haywire as quickly as other people. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Like you've been like, I'm sure that Maggie tries to crush you all the time and all the time. you're like, Oh my God. Like, I, 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 you know, so when you, but you've probably practiced enough at this point that you can still maintain all of that and breathe at the same time. It's in the schedule practice daily. Exactly. Friday, take off Sundays for church. Exactly. So I have a, I had a lover that was um, a CrossFitter and like his, like in his sport, like he cannot, he has a really hard time and he gets gassed because he doesn't breathe while he's moving and while he's lifting and while he's like, you know, cross his brain mm -hmm. tense. So if you're not breathing through that, you're selling yourself short and you're, it's a handicap mm -hmm. big time. 
so, and, and that's transferable into the bedroom is that he holds his breath. And I'm like, breathe, 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 breathe. Because when we hold our breath, all the pressure goes down into the pelvis. Yeah. And there's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that was funny because we were talking about tuning the breath to the activity. Yeah. And we were talking about um, like repetitions and, and barbell training. And when you're doing one, you're doing two, you want all that pressure there. Because that's going to support and stabilize your spine. But then we started talking about high reps and CrossFit was brought up and hypertrophy training and bodybuilding was brought up. And it was, no, no, we don't, we don't breathe that way because your, your output's going to be totally different. You're going to be shot. You're not going to be able to train. You're not going to be able to move strength from different parts of the body. So proximal stability for a little bit more um, mobility at other points of the body. If you're holding your breath, you're not going to be good at that. Yeah. Oh my God. I love this conversation <laughs> so much. Like it just brings me so much joy. So in, in training, one of the things that we would do to increase performance is you'd want to increase your bolt score. So have you heard of the bolt score? No. B-O-L-T. So the bolt score essentially is what is your CO2 tolerance? Okay. Once your CO2 tolerance has been met, you want to breathe. You can't hold yeah. your breath any longer. Yeah. So an easy way to do it is you would just take a couple natural breaths. And then on the last one, you would just exhale and then plug your nose. Yeah. And you don't hold your breath. You just don't breathe. And you time yourself. And whenever you need to take a breath, when you feel like, okay, now I need to breathe, that's your bolt score. And what essentially is happening is your body is building up a a tolerance of CO2. It's Mm -hmm. not buffering it out. And if you have a very low tolerance, your score is going to be low. 10, 14 seconds. Then all of a sudden you got to breathe. From a performance perspective, the more tolerance you have, the longer you hold that breath. And you're going to be more efficient at exercise specifically with heavy loads. Mm -hmm. If you want to be good at doing endurance-based work, you can train your tolerance by doing small things like nasal breathing during activity. So if you work out and you're like, yeah, I go and I run 5K, well, try to run 2K without opening your mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's going to train your diaphragm and your tolerance is going to go up over time. And then mm-hmm. the carryover is you have more output. You can do more in exercise. You can do more day to day because mm-hmm. you're more efficient with the body you actually have. And yeah. like being in, being in this industry, I missed that, you know, 15 years ago where mm-hmm. breath was never talked about. Yeah. It was like your standard. Okay. Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. If someone yeah. comes in, they're like, my neck is all jacked up <laughs> and you can see them just walking and breathing. It'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go to the doctor. But breath was never really talked about on the exercise standpoint when I started in the industry. And now it's so much more prevalent. And it's interesting Thank to hear God. that just like in the, in the sex world. Totally. <clears throat> like movement is movement is movement. Endurance is endurance. Energy is energy. Like it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, Mm-hmm. it really doesn't um and it's how you do one thing is also how you do everything too right so can we practice breathing in the gym while we're doing like endurance work that's probably going to help us in the bedroom you know mm-hmm. and i think that that's equally as valuable for uh like women as it is for men too and it's like can can we breathe and experience pleasure at the same time because a lot of women will hold their breath too and because bracing that pulls on all the like bracing will create tension in the muscles, create more pressure. So it helps us orgasm, right? Um, because often women take longer to orgasm and men take a shorter amount of time to orgasm. That's just science. Yeah. 
right? Um, so it's like, we'll hold our breath to embrace that. But if we can breathe and then circulate all of that energy through our body, we're actually going to do ourselves a favor by regulating and being able to control our nervous system to orgasm um, more frequently with less pressure um, versus with men. It's like when we can, when they can start um, breathing that through their body, then they can, it's just regulation. It's nervous system regulation. So how would you, how would you coach that for, um, for couples or for clients and stuff? Would you say, Hey, use tempo. Hey, breathe through your nose. Like any go-tos that you, you would have for them to practice? Yeah. So there's, there's lots of different ways. Um, and it depends on what's happening. So sometimes it's just like witnessing, witnessing like two people making love and being like, okay, so let's try, let's try moving the energy up through the body. That's a, that's a really typical one that we'll use for men. And then for women, like the typical one is like, let's same thing, but with a different intention. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And then it's um, trying to synchronize and like, balance and flow. So um, have you ever taught. taped your mouth? Have I ever taped my mouth? Yeah, I've not. No, I know this could go in a lot of different ways, but I guess I should, I should preface and say in relation to breathing, <laughs> has you ever, have you ever done mouth taping as, as a way to breathe? Or a I have not, but if I run or if I train, my intention is to, to um, not open my mouth and I'll slow my slow, whatever it is down so that I can breathe through my nose. So in the, in the training world, I have, I, Maggie does this. We tape her mouth at night. Not, yeah. not, not in the bedroom world, but in the training world. Yeah, yeah. The, the idea is don't tape your mouth in the bedroom world. Mouth breathers are not going to get as much oxygen in. So a lot of people wake up who feel very fatigued in the morning. Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. good, or they got dry mouth. There's a good mm-hmm. chance that they are mouth breathers in their sleep. Yeah. Their posture can something to do with that. Their body weight can have something to do with that. Their nasal yeah. cavity can have something to do with that. Uh, they could be allergic to cats and there's cats on the bed. There's so many things that can make yeah, you a mouth structure. breather, right? Your yeah. bone structure as well, yeah. um, which is, uh, I don't know if you're aware of like what the masks are doing with kids these days. And like right. kids are wearing the masks at school all day long. Well, people are. And yeah. then I find that even in the beginning, my boys come home and, and you would see them mouth breathing all the time. Yeah. And you're like, Hey, shut your mouth. Right. So, um, yeah. because if you breathe through your mouth, you can actually change your bone structure. And you know, this, especially in your early development years, Yeah, nasal breathing can do the opposite and it can actually have the cheeks, you know, expand more rather than getting more narrow. Your jaw yeah. stays in a good position, doesn't drop backwards. And, uh, we're all actually do with, with my boys as we do laps around the block. Our block mm-hmm. is like, like 500 meters. So every now and then we go for a run or we go for a walk, but I'll be like, Hey, how long can you go without opening your mouth? Can you run this whole thing without opening your mouth? We do is like a little challenge and stuff, but yeah. they get the idea that the more you can breathe through your nose, the stronger you are. Like that's how it in their eyes they are like, I'm stronger. Daddy said, I can't, I'm going to prove them wrong. But it's really just a way to counter when they're wearing the mask at school all day long, I, w- I want them to be able to breathe a little bit more through their, their nose. So it's the same protocol that we'll use for someone who is a mouth breather in their sleep. Take a mm-hmm. little bit of tape and just put it over, not the whole mouth, not yeah. the whole mouth. That could be problematic, but just over the, the here. So if they have to breathe out the sides, they can. You can make it kinky. <laughs> nipple clamps. Are you using all the nipple clamps? I need one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's so interesting how the, the the breath goes in both worlds. Totally, totally. It's it's our life force. It's, if we don't breathe, we die. One of the things that I've noticed um, about you as a person, and I know you do this in your practice, is you, your ability to communicate is so unique. 
your aura of an individual is so unique and it's interesting. You hear people sometimes say, when I walk in the room, I want to be the first one noticed. When you're in the room, I've noticed you are the first one noticed, but I know you don't have that intention. That's just who you are. So to me, I've always said, if you want to know anything about how to communicate, man, go, go, go talk to Casey. She knows how to communicate. How important is communication and communication boundaries within relationships? Communication is a foundation of everything. And we all know this. And yet we don't spend time practicing that. Like that is that is the the key to making all relationships, regardless of what they are. So your relationship with your kids better, your relationship with your parents better, your relationship with your partner better. The things with our partners is that that's when we're the most intimate. Our partners know the most about us and they, which is both good and bad. They know so much about us. They can also yield that to mm-hmm. be used against us too. Um, and so being able to communicate our needs, being able to communicate our needs with love, being able to listen and to be able to hold space for someone's feelings is really important. Um, and this listening thing is really, I feel where uh, a lot of people need a lot of work is to be able to listen without interrupting, listen without judgment, listen with um, like hearts, like ears on our heart. Um, well, ears on the heart. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about that and uh, soul tribe, but uh, listening with an, with an open heart Um and to be able to then also speak back um, in, in a way that's uh, also honoring our truth, but not being offensive and being uh, sensitive to their stuff. But often we, we will choose not to communicate because we don't want to hurt our partners too. And that's a, a really common thing, or we don't want to start a fight or we don't, you know, we don't think that our, our, their needs are more important than ours. You know, mm-hmm. and that's just not true. Like everyone's needs are important and it's, can we communicate them in a way that is honoring and supportive of the relationship, honoring and supportive of both people. Um, and that takes a lot of freaking practice, man. Like my parents threw me in therapy when I was eight because I had anger management issues at the ripe old age of eight. So like I had a lot of therapy from a young age too. This is also the experiential part of it. Um, that's allowed me to be able to be my fully expressed self, which is like, I am like, I've got a lot of energy and I, I um, like, I don't, I, I tend to, uh, what do I tend to do? I tend to be aware of how big that it can be mm-hmm. um, and try not to offend people with it. You know, try to make sure that all of the energy comes through a space, like it comes through my heart before it comes out. So it comes through a space of love. I'm not perfect at it by any stretch, um, but that's my intention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I very, think that it's thoughtful. Like, yeah. And it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's thoughtful or heartful, um, but it's uh, knowing that uh, I want to operate from a place of an open heart and from a place of love. Yeah. And I think that the other part piece to this is that um, I really honor my darkness. I can be really dark. Like I'm really aware of all the, um, the messiness, all the chaos, all the emotions, all the, like my, my victim, my perpetrator, um, like those kind of like darker um, 
elements of myself. I'm really in tune with those. So I can generally hold space for that with other people Mm -hmm. because you can only hold space for the amount of darkness that you're willing to accept in yourself in another person. So often we'll just reject all the darkness in other people. I actually get um, accused of trusting too much or like seeing the good in people too much. And I'm like, I don't know, like we can all be vicious people Mm -hmm. and it's um, trying to honor that in ourselves and honor it in other people um, as opposed to rejecting it all around. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Holding it reverence and love. David Goggins, um, if anyone knows who David Goggins is, he's just a hard, a hard dude runs like ultra marathons on like a broken leg. And he's just a tough, a tough guy who had a really, really bad upbringing. Anytime you hear him talk, he says things like he tells his story and he was a bad dude. He did a bunch of bad things growing up. His dad was, was a, I think he was a pimp and abusive and all stuff. He's like, yeah, my, my dad was fucked up. I was fucked up too. But I tell you guys what I did wrong. Everyone else here is too scared to say they're, they're, they're demons, they're darkness. He's like, yeah. I got no problem with anyone in the world because I can own my own stuff. A hundred thousand percent. Yeah. And it's, we're so scared to show those parts of ourselves because it's been, it's so quickly and easily rejected. Mm-hmm. And like all we, the only thing all any of us want is like love and acceptance. So why would we share those parts? So this is why we need to do the dark work. I always joke around, like, I'm not a light worker. I'm a dark worker. I work in the dark. Like, sexuality is part of the dark. Power is part of the dark. And, like, the root is part of the dark. So I, I prefer to work in the lower aspects and then draw that energy up through the heart to, yeah, it's always like the spirituality has to land somewhere because there's so much, so many light workers and so many people working in like the upper chakras. And it's like, but it has to have a place to land and that place is in the body. So if you can't connect to your body, you can't connect to your power, you can't connect to your sex, you can't connect to your root. All of that consciousness has nowhere to go. It has no home. Mm-hmm. So you are the yin to the yang. You're the balance. Uh, I'm the yang to the yin. Yang to the yin. Yeah. Yang to yin. <laughs> yeah, totally. So a couple uh, a couple of takeaways for anyone listening here. Let's say someone's listening and they're like, you know what? I need to work on my communication with myself or with my partner. What well, could be one or two things that you know you would recommend they try? Um, listening, listening without um, honestly listening. Like if we um, if we just open and I I personally think that men are better listeners than women. Um, when you ask a man to listen, he just stops what he's doing and he just listens and he listens till you're done. And that's that. Um, and often men won't go into the emotional response just because they're conditioned not to, which is also something that needs to be worked on because they need to open their hearts a little bit more often. Um, mm-hmm. And there's lots of men out there with open hearts. Thank God bless them. Um, but it's the, uh, when you ask a question, wait for the answer. And just wait, just wait until they're done talking. And then they say they're done. Do not interrupt them. Do not tell them they're wrong. Do not judge their responses. Just be there and listen. Um, That's a big one. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, practice saying the hard things and practice asking for, can you hold space for me? 
and be really clear with what you need them to do. So often men will be like, I want to fix the things, right? And women want to fix the things too. So they'll go into solutions like, no, I just need this to be held. I need to be witnessed in my pain. Um, and I want to be fully expressed. So can you just hold space for me to express whatever needs to move? And then container is held. And then whoever is listening is what do you need? And then the person that's expressing can say, no, actually that was good. Or I need this from you. Like those are like the two foundations of communication um, is, is being able to express yourself um, and being able to listen. Listening's hard. Listening's hard, especially if you're really close to somebody and super intimate with them. And, you know, they might be screaming at you about something you did. It's just like, hold it, just hold it um, and try not to take it personally and um, go from there. Sounds very difficult for a lot of people. Oh my God, it's such a difficult practice. But what happens when someone does that and they practice it and then, and then all of a sudden it gets better? Like what, what changes in there? In There's more intimacy. There's more intimacy, in my opinion, is closeness. And um, intimacy is also being able to be or like move around with an open heart um, and trust that, um, trust that the universe is going to work out in your favor you know, that kind of thing. And it's when we can um, hold the space without retaliation, without reacting, but then responding from an open heart, that's when we get closer and closer and closer. And the intimacy deepens like so much so that you can share anything. You can share anything with your partner and it's going to be well-received. And that is a practice. And if you're not good at it, Yet, um, I'm, I have a webinar coming up called The Art of Intimate Communication, and this is where we practice this, and this is where we learn how to do it. I was just about to ask, but I didn't want to interrupt because I was practicing listening. Oh, you're so good at it. <laughs> so why don't you go on a little bit more and let the people know um, what that is about? Yeah, so The Art of Intimate Communication is uh, the, the core elements are peace, so again, we have to come back to this ability to have a conversation about anything that isn't going to uh, end in like the apocalypse um, and that everything's going to be said that needs to be said and everything's going to be received that needs to be received. Um, and then pleasure, being able to access pleasure in your body. And then that's a lot of like asking questions and giving space. And uh, like if I have a new lover, I want to explore every part of their body, but they have to let me and that they have to communicate what feels good. You know what I mean? And I can't just assume something feels good in their body because it feels good in my body, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so being able to access a pleasure and sometimes you have to go through some, some deep work to get there, to be able to feel the things in your body. Cause a lot of times we will dissociate and we will try to just appease our partner and like, you know, fake orgasms and stuff like that just to feed their ego. And it's like, well, that's not helping anybody really. And it's okay. Like people need to learn each other's bodies. And the other part is like the passion piece. And for me, passion is based in polarity um, and boundaries. Because if you don't know where the limit is, you know, I was actually like, I made a really great metaphor that the, um, the boundaries is like, it's like a, like a fire pit. So somebody's fire pit can be really small and the rocks are all the boundaries. And then we can actually grow and grow and grow and grow that fire pit if we want to, so that we don't get burned, but also, so it's hot enough so that we can appreciate it. So it keeps us warm, you know, what a um, phenomenal visual. Yeah. Cause it's got like that, that heat. Um, mm. And it's, 
do we want the fire pit to grow? I think that most people want to experience that. And then the other question is if they don't want to experience that, why? It's like, and then it's like adjusting the nervous system to be able to handle that much sensation, that much pleasure, that much intensity. And that can be hard for some people too. Yeah. But it's like, and but the boundaries are like, I know that the fire can be this big and it's not going to burn you. So I'm going to make a fire this big. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is that if you don't know where the boundary is, you're just going to make a little fire because you don't want to burn anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you might be bored. So it's okay. Well, let's talk about how to make the fire bigger. Like what kind of, what kind of rocks do you want to add to this fire or what kind of, what kind of things do you want to throw in this fire to make it bigger? You know, that kind of thing. So for this, uh, this workshop, um, who, who, who's this workshop for? It's for anybody that wants more pleasure in their bodies, more passion, in their relationships. Um, oh, and- so everyone. Okay. Yeah. On my street. Yeah. Everyone. Okay. Pretty much um, people that need that, that are like at a standstill and they, they, they just want more. They're like, okay, so I, I'm either, it's like, I'm pretty good or there's stuff that's missing or um, we can't even get through three days without fighting. It's for those mm-hmm. people. And then it's like, and the result is going to be deeper intimacy, whether that's sexual intimacy, whether that's um, just more connection, whether, and then that's really about getting our needs met and our, our desires met. Mm-hmm. So vital. So people who might be having, um, am I safe to say that this could be for someone who, who are having some rifts in their relationship Yep. and, or people are like, my relationship's good. I want to take it to the next level. Yes. Okay. Yes. And the beauty is that, um, it's going to be in a group setting. It's going to be virtual. It'll be over three Sundays. So it'll be two hours, three Sundays in a row. And that's where we'll learn the principles. And then on the Thursdays between the first and second and second and third Sundays, we're just going to have a a Thursday night check-in so that we can come and learn from each other. So those that already have things really well developed, they can reflect the things that uh, they're sharing and really about community um, and learning from each other. Um, And, you know, celebrate our wins or like learn from the losses together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And creating the space where we can talk about that kind of stuff is so important. I love that community aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, you know, and then that develops more intimacy, like in the room kind of thing. Like when you can start talking about these things, because that's the way intimacy works. It's like into me, you see. So if I open my heart to you, you're going to want to open your heart to me a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. I like that intimacy. Into me, yeah. you see. Yeah. Um, I know your time is valuable, uh, and I I could sit here all day. I mean, I have about two more pages of stuff we never even touched on. Um, <laughs> but I, I do want to end with a couple things. One being is that you know I already chatted about this workshop coming up, and you're going to give the listeners a little bit of a discount. Yes. Yeah. So what <laughs> I wrote down the um I wrote down the thing. It's uh you can save fifty bucks on it Ooh. with the code Fudge fifty. Fudge fifty. Yeah. So I'll be sure to put that in um, the show notes. So if you're listening here now, you can always see that in the show notes and the links to register for this as well will be there. Um, And then also if anyone wants to get in contact um, with you, I'll put all that stuff down there. But I I just want to end with a a quick little thing here. Can you make anything sexy? Not you. I mean, like, can anything be sexy? I think so. If you've got a sense of humor about it. Okay. I figured you'd say that. So I got a couple things here and I just want to know how you how you could make these things sexy here, okay? I'll keep it very, very simple, very, very simple. Um, you're with your partner, you're driving down the road, you've run out of gas. You're out of gas, you're on the side of the road. How can that be sexy? How can that be sexy? Well, yeah. you, like you got to wait for gas, right? Why not just 
jump in the back seat and make out for a bit like a pair of teenagers. I love it. Maybe get caught by the cops and that could be sexy too, you know, (laughs) a little exhibitionism. Some handcuffs? Uh Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Okay. I like that one. Um, Food prep. A lot of people here are fitness related. How can food prep be sexy? Oh my God. Actually, that's a thing that happens in our house all the time. Like sexy food prep, just Mm -hmm. like, you know, making food together and like rubbing your bodies on each other and smooching each other's necks and, and feeding each other and just, oh yeah, that's definitely a thing in our house. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. What about daily chores, doing laundry, sweeping? Can that be sexy or what could you do to make it sexy? I just like drool from all of the places when Eric's doing all the chores. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> For instance, you can like um, pull their pants down and kiss their bum cheeks while they're doing the dishes. Oh, stealing that one. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just going to like worship your bum a little bit while you're doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. know what? In in my house, I'm the dish master. I'm the dish master. Just just so in case anyone's listening, I'm the one who does all the dishes. Anyway, I'll, pa- I'll pass that one on. Um, bum kisses. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> handshakes. How can you make a yeah. handshake sexy? Uh, really? You don't know how to make a handshake sexy? Well, you shake a how hand. Do you, how do you make a handshake sexy? You, you put the other hand on top and you kind of give it a squeeze and just like a little bit of a, a sensual rub. Oh, okay. Maybe make a little bit of eye oh, contact. Okay. I was thinking like I'd, I'd, I'd like, you know, jiggle my finger around, but I like, yeah, I think your ways, but mine's probably creepy. Here's a sexy. Okay. Uh, the last thing here. Sexy too. With, with everything that's gone on the last year, face masks. How can face masks be sexy? That I'm lost. <laughs> like I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. The next time that oh. I chat with you, I bet you're going to be like, hey, I figured it out. Oh, I have figured it out. Like those sexy, like leather face masks. There we go. There yeah. we go. I'll send you some pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if you send me one, I'll wear it to the grocery store. We'll see what happens. Yeah. There's, there's one more piece that we were going to talk about. Remember the ejaculation thing? Yes. Let, let's go with that. Oh I my think God, that's we the have best to. way to finish off. Zing. Well, we were talking about this in the spring. You're like, do you think that like, you know, not ejaculating actually enhances your performance? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I naturally did a bunch of practice and, uh, you know, like two months later, Eric's like, I'm so, so we've been together for almost a year. So through basically through COVID, um, I'm so exhausted all the time. Uh, he's like, I barely have any energy for training. And I'm like, um, darling, you're ejaculating a lot probably a lot more than you're used to. Why don't we see what happens if we're still making love as much as we are, but you're not coming every time. So that's our practice now, because if he orgasms every time we have sex, he's completely and utterly depleted. Like I'm literally draining the life force from the man, like literally. And so what's happened is that his training's gotten, he's just kind of more virile and he's got more energy and he's got more. So because when you don't ejaculate, you don't have a depletion in testosterone mm-hmm. and dopamine. Mm-hmm. So when you, but when you have sex, that testosterone and dopamine go up. So by having sex without ejaculating, it gives you more dopamine and more um, and dopamine is what, uh, what cocaine works on. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. blocks dopamine reuptake and then testosterone, you know what testosterone does. 
So it's like, can we, can we increase the testosterone and dopamine naturally by making love and having sex and being aroused without having those drops? And it takes about a week for the dopamine and testosterone to come back to normal. So, you know, anywhere between four and four and eight days. Um, and then, yeah, the more that you ejaculate, the less, um, dopamine testosterone you have. So totally worthwhile to do some, um, retention and then your sex drive actually goes up and the sex actually gets way better. You know what? I think that is the first time in my life I had heard of someone with a practical, a practical antidote to someone who is, you know, has low sex drive. It's because it's always like, we'll take this, take this, take this. That's, that's what I've, I've, I've heard. You know, you take this, you take this, you take this. It's like, well, sometimes you clean up your life, but now you're actually using a, a variation of sex to increase sex drive. Yeah. The term you use is what retention. Yeah. Okay. Retention. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's wild to know, but as you explain it like that, it does, it does sound very practical, you know, yeah. with the idea of being fatigued from that and an easy yeah. way to increase natural testosterone. Keep yeah. it, keep it in. Yeah. And what, what you need to do if you're doing this practice is breathing that energy through the rest of your body, mm-hmm. because if it stays in your pelvis, that's when we get ball, blue balls. And by we, mm-hmm. I mean you. Yeah. Uh, so this is the the breathing the energy up and not just letting it stay and linger and create more tension and tightness. Breathe it up into wherever it is you need it. Do you need more pe- like and you know, I'm gonna be all tantric about it and like breathe it up into your chakras that need it. Do you need to be able to speak your truth more? So breathe it up into your throat. Do you need more intuition or do you need to connect spirit higher? Do you need more love in your heart? Do you need more power? You know, breathe it into wherever it is that you require it. Or you can even theoretically breathe it in your muscles to help recover. So just think if anyone's out there right now wants bigger biceps, retention and breathe into your biceps. Retention, breathe into your biceps. <laughs> that is awesome. That's, and that, that's a phenomenal way to kind of end this one here. Casey, we'll have you back on another time so I can get to the other two pages. If anyone listening, I didn't ask your question. Sorry, this was just rocking and rolling. So that, that's kind of how we did it. So I want to yeah. say officially, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate you and I appreciate you being on the podcast here. And anyone listening is going to have access to communicating with you as well as getting in on your workshop moving forward. Awesome. It was such a pleasure. Likewise. Have a phenomenal day. Bye. Bye. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.